And if you have not been here for what we've talked about so far, um, you can actually, if you've got a cell phone or computer or whatever, you can go and look on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts and look for KF Student Podcast. You can actually catch up on what you've missed that we've walked through this on uh, so far as we've done this the last couple of weeks. We started, does anybody remember what book we started in when, on week one when we started this series? Matthew, Matthew chapter one. You don't don't turn there. That's not where we're going to be tonight. Where we're going to be is right there. Ruth one. That's where we're going to be. But we started in Matthew chapter one because in Matthew chapter one, you find what is kind of it's labeled as the the genealogy of Jesus. It's basically his family tree. Now it doesn't include everybody in his family tree, but as you look at that, you see forty two different generations as you walk through all of those people that are listed out in Matthew chapter twenty one or chapter one in those first 20 or so verses. And as you read through that, you see some names that that you don't recognize, some names that are probably pretty hard to pronounce. But you also see some names that if if you've ever been around the Bible or around church at all, some names that you probably recognize, names like Abraham or or Jacob or or Boaz, which is a crazy name. I'm going to challenge you guys this every time. If you see a name like that, I challenge you, see if you can get your future spouse to name one of your kids one of these names, okay? If you can get somebody in your family, to like your child, and you can convince your wife, guys, or, or ladies, you can convince your husband, and you name your kid Boaz, 10 bucks. I'm giving it to you, okay? I just, I, I, if you can still find me at that point in time, okay? I will give you $10 if you can make that happen. But there's some crazy names in here. But what we see, hey, in all of these names, some we recognize, and some of those names we recognize and we think, hey, they, they were pretty important people in the Bible. They did some pretty important things for God. But there's also some other names that we see in this list that they're kind of the misfits of the family. They're kind of the ones that, that everybody doesn't really talk about. And as you go through this, you start to realize very quickly from those names in Matthew chapter 21, if you follow, or Matthew 1, I keep saying 21, if you follow those names all the way down, it ends up at Jesus Christ. But here's the crazy part. In all of those names that are listed above him, you can pick out person after person after person who made serious mistakes in their life. Because every single member besides Jesus Christ of his family before him and all of his brothers and sisters and their family after them were sinners. And they did dumb things. They made mistakes. Jesus was sinless, but there's a lot of people in his family history that were not. There were murderers. There were liars. There's prostitutes and many other things that are just messed up. And yet, as we've walked through this, what you begin to see when you look at these individuals is that in many cases, God redeemed a lot of them and he took their bad choices and he redeemed those choices and he made them a part of God's family. And that's huge for us before we get even into Scripture tonight, before we start looking at what Ruth chapter 1 has to say for us, you need to understand that's huge for every single person in this room because look at me. You may be sitting here tonight and you may be thinking, I come from a messed up family. You're here and you're smiling and you're talking and everything's okay with all of the people you're around. But before you got here and when you go home, you may be thinking, my, my family's got problems. And they're messed up. And there's things, much like the people in Jesus' lineage, that you probably don't want people to know about. But you need to understand this. God doesn't define you by the family you came from. 
God defines you when you become His child. When you put your faith and your trust in Him. You're not defined by where you come from. You're defined by who He's created you to be. And when you put your faith and your trust in Him, when He redeems your soul and when He redeems your life, God loves you and God has a plan for you. And there's hope in that. And that's one of the things that we see as we start to walk through this account of Ruth in Scripture, that that what God can do is God can take a life that has a history of being messed up and God can do something great with it. We saw that just a couple weeks ago as we started walking through these names. What we saw in that lineage of all of these 42 generations is that Matthew made a point to put five specific names in there. Typically, a family lineage, especially during that time, was traced through the man, through the father, through the husband. But in that lineage, Matthew named out five different women. Now, the last one is Jesus' mother. That's a pretty clear one. But the four before that, those are the grandmas of Jesus. And those grandmas had some crazy stuff going on in their life. We saw that a couple weeks ago when we started. Does anybody remember the name of the first lady we talked about? Tamar. Tamar. Tamar made some bad choices. She made some really bad choices. And her whole goal in making those bad choices is because her husband died and she wanted a son. So she pretended to be a prostitute so that she could have a son. And yet God still took that and God redeemed that. And God grafted her into the lineage of Jesus. And last week we talked about Rahab. And Rahab, she was, this, she was this woman who was a prostitute living in Jericho. And when God brought his people out of Egypt and was bringing them into the promised land, some spies went into Jericho and Rahab hid the spies. And she made a deal with them that said, hey, when you come over, when you take over this city, I want you to, to, to spare my family. So they made that deal. She hid them. She snuck them out of the city. And when the nation of Israel came in and took over and destroyed Jericho, Rahab and her family were saved. And if you go on and you continue to read what happened to her, the same thing. She was grafted into the nation of Israel. She was grafted into the lineage of Jesus. You see, God can take any mistake in our past and God can redeem it and use it for His glory if we would just give it over to Him. And we start to see how God uses those bad experiences. Sometimes it's things that we've done that were bad choices. Sometimes it's just things that happen that make us question God. Because we don't understand why things are happening in our life the way that they're happening. And yet, if we will trust God and give it to Him and trust Him with our life and our eternity, God says, I can take that and I can use that. And I can use that to make something new in your life. I can use that to give you purpose in your life. And that's what he starts to do as we pick up here with the third grandma of Jesus that we're going to look at. And her name is Ruth. But what we're going to do with Ruth is those other ladies, we only had just a passage or maybe one chapter in Scripture that talked about who those ladies were. With Ruth, she has an entire book. Now, it's not a long book. It's only four chapters. In fact, I think there's only something like 87 or 89 actual verses in the entire chapter or in the entire book. So it's pretty short. But because we have the entire book, we're going to walk through the entire account of Ruth over the next couple weeks. And this book is a little bit different. If you guys remember, when we go through New Testament books, there are certain questions I ask you about the book, aren't there? This is yes, no, okay. All right. Every time we study a book, there's questions that you need to consider because it matters about the context of the book because that matters how we understand it. 
So some of those questions that I ask you, for instance, are this one. Who wrote the book of Ruth? Does anybody know? No. No. I love questions like this. Can I, can I tell you something? Hey, it's a trick question. Guys, we don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. See, unlike the New Testament books, like all of the ones that we've gone through that Paul wrote, like Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, at the very beginning, in the first two verses, he says, this is Paul and this is who I'm writing the book to. Because these, in the New Testament, a lot of those were letters that were addressed specifically to churches. But in the Old Testament, we're in a section of Scripture called history. And in the books of history, that's exactly what you're getting. It's like opening up a history book in school and you're just reading, these are the facts, this is what happened. And that's exactly what the book of Ruth is. So when we look at this, we don't really know who wrote this, but we do have an idea of around the time that it was written. Can anybody guess when that is? Don't worry, in a couple weeks when I ask these questions, you'll know them without even thinking about it. What's that? Nope. Any other guesses? It's a, it's a bigger number than that, Aiden. Nope, too high. Nobody? Wait, you guys aren't even looking in that little blurb in your Bible where it says this book was written when? What did you say, Aiden? Close. We, we believe it was... Okay, listen, 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 listen. Best approximation is somewhere around 1010 B.C., 1010. Okay? That's the best approximation of when that was written. Okay. And the last question. We're only doing three questions on this book. There's two key themes, two things that keep popping up in this book. Can you guess what they are? No, that'd be great though, wouldn't it? Everybody loves chicken nuggets, but that's not it. No, the two themes that you're going to see, hey, the two themes that you're going to see over and over again in this book are kindness and redemption. Kindness and redemption. If for nothing else, guys, we need to remember those in our daily lives. That kindness and redemption play a big part in who God's called us to be. And it plays a big part in the account of Ruth that we're going to read through. We're going to start reading through tonight. So I'm going to ask you guys, if you haven't opened your Bibles already, open it up to Ruth chapter 1. If you don't know where that is, it's very close to the beginning of the New Testament. It's right after the book of Judges. It's before you get to Kings, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Samuel, all of those. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read the first five verses, if you'll follow along with me. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites, i got to say that right, from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she left with and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died. 
so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, to, to spend just a few minutes in your word tonight. And God, even though this is, this is a short passage that we're going to walk through tonight, God, I, I pray that you'll help us to see the truths that we can see about who you are here, God. Show us what it is we're supposed to learn, God, and, and help us to be different because we've been in your presence and in your word tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So we're going to back up and we're going to kind of walk through these verses because that's a very short passage. And it almost seems like it ends on, on kind of a downer. I mean, everybody's dead. Now what? But let's, let's see what we can learn from this. Listen to verse 1 again. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So this is kind of setting the scene for what is happening as we get into this book of Ruth. What you've got here is you've got this point in Israel's history in what is known as the cycle of judges. In fact, that's, that's the book that comes right before the book of Ruth right here in Scripture. And in fact, when you look at the last verse, I want you to listen to what the last verse of the book of Judges says. In chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that's what's going on when we pick up with this account of Ruth and her, or excuse me, Naomi and her family before we get to Ruth. Things were not good in the nation of Israel. If you're not familiar with the book of Judges or the cycle that the book of Judges shows over and over, what happened is you had the nation of Israel who said, God, we're going to follow you. And God said, okay, you're going to be my people. You follow me and I'll take care of you. And they said, we'll follow you, God, if you're going to take care of us. So they said they're going to do that. But the problem is, as God brings them out of Egypt, out of slavery and into this promised land, they begin to encounter other people. And as they encounter other people, they begin to encounter other belief systems, other religions. And as they started to do that, some of those Israelites, some of the people in the nation, God's people, began to turn away from God and turn to some of those other belief systems. And what would happen is every time they did that, they got in trouble. Another group, people group would take them over or they would start sinning and they would turn away from God. And then they would get in trouble and then they would cry out and say, God, we need your help. So God would raise up someone, they called him a judge, who would come in, basically save God's people, and the whole nation of Israel would turn back to God. But then just a little while later, they'd start to turn away from him again. And it happened over and over and over where God kept having to send somebody to save the nation of Israel because the nation of Israel kept doing something stupid. It, it, it's it's kind of like you when you were a little kid and your parents said, don't do that. And you did it anyway. And you got hurt. And they said, see, I told you not to do that. And then as soon as you're better, guess what you did? You did it again. Absolutely. Every single one of us has gone through that at some point in life. Some of us do it as adults. But that's what's happening here. The people have turned to God. God has saved them. And then the people have turned away from God. And over and over and over that cycle is happening. And that's what's going on right here as we step into this book. The nation of Israel keeps finding themselves in a very bad situation. And not only is that going on, but you also see there in verse 1, it says there was a famine in the land. This is what sets the scene. You've got everybody doing what they want to do, and then you've got people are starving. So it says this man of Bethlehem in Judah says he was an Israelite. 
What's happening right there is you're seeing the scene set that he and his wife, they take their boys and they go to this foreign land. It says they go to sojourn in this country of Moab. Does anybody know what that word sojourn means? Anybody? Sojourn? Have y'all heard that word before? Besides me reading it like two minutes ago? Okay. What's that? Awesome. Where'd you find that? Good job. Hey, hey, you took initiative. You looked it up. Y'all give it up for Sarah for looking it up. Thank you. Thanks for helping us out there. That's exactly what that means. It it means you stay somewhere temporarily. It's kind of like this. If you go on vacation and you go to the beach and stay in a hotel or a condo or you go to the mountains and you stay in a cabin, you don't get to stay there permanently, right? I mean, I know you wish you could, but you go for a week or, or a couple days or whatever it is. When you're doing that, you are sojourning there. You're going there for a temporary period of time. So that's what this family had planned to do. As far as we know, they had planned to go over to Moab, Moab and they were going to do it just for a short amount of time, maybe to wait out the famine. We don't know. It doesn't give us all of those details. But the very fact that it uses that word tells us the original plan was probably a temporary plan. They had not planned to stay there for a long time. But the problem is the city that they went to, this place called Moab, it's a city that's across the Dead Sea from Judah where this family is from. And the problem with them going there is that Moab is traditionally an enemy of the nation of Israel. And I don't know about you, but most of us, we're not going to intentionally go somewhere that we know we're not going to be wanted. So that gives us a pretty good idea of how bad that famine must have been to drive a family out of their home to a place where they knew they were going to encounter problems. I I don't like going places I'm not wanted. I remember I I told you guys at the beginning when we first started this whole series about being able to sit down with grandparents and hear stories about things that used to happen. And, And I remember a story my grandfather used to tell when he was in high school. He was a football player. And his high school was in the town of Alachua. And the high school, or the town my wife actually grew up in, Miss Kathleen, High Springs, they're like 15 minutes apart, maybe, but there were two different high schools. So he played in one high school for football, and he said on the weekends, he and his buddies would load up, and they would go over to High Springs. And apparently there was such a rivalry between these two high schools and these two football teams, he said there were times that they would come up to the city limit and there would be a car full of football players from the other high school waiting there just to catch any of the guys from the other town to fight them before they got into town. So, so my, and, and my grandfather's kind of grinning when he tells me this because they did this on a regular basis. They would get in the car and drive over just to see if there was somebody ready there to fight them. And yet these people are going to where they know they're not wanted. I don't know about you guys. That's not how I'm spending my Friday nights. But they go to a country, they go to a city where they know they're not wanted. And in fact, let me give you a little history as to why. Because there was a time in the history of the nation of Israel. It's all the way back in the book of Numbers chapter 25. You can go read that. But some of the men in the nation of Israel began to get mixed up with some of the women that were from Moab. And because they turned away from God and they started turning towards the gods of these other women from this other place, 
God basically punished them for it. And by the time it was all said and done, by the time those people who had done the wrong thing and dishonored God turned back to God, it had cost the nation of Israel 24,000 lives. So there's a little animosity. There's a little, a little problem between those two groups of people. So for them to pick up their family and to go, that's a big deal. But remember, it says they're going to sojourn there. Just a temporary time. It's, it's kind of like when you get hungry, you get up and where do you walk when you get hungry in your house? Yeah, you go to the kitchen. You either go to the fridge or you go to the pantry. So I challenge you, the next time you're walking through the house and one of your parents goes, hey, what are you doing? Just go, oh, I'm just sojourning. And just see what they say. I want to, I want to see how they respond to you. Because you don't plan to stay there, right? Now, some of you do. You open the fridge and you just go. Like you don't know what's in there and you weren't there five minutes before. You stay there permanently. But usually it's a temporary thing. So their goal, their goal is to go to Moab temporarily. But look at what happens in the next verse. It says, The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Nope, don't do that. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Okay, catch a couple different things there. It says the Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. What the author of this book is doing, the author is establishing who this family is. He's establishing, or she, whoever wrote this, the lineage of Jesus the lineage of this family. It's showing the connection of where they came from because as you follow this family, you're going to see the lineage that it goes to. So it's important that that distinction there is made because we need to know who's coming before and after this family. And there's something else that changes here. No longer does it say that they're sojourning in the country of Moab. What does it say they do at the end of that verse? It says they remained there. The language changes. They were going for a temporary time, but now it says they're staying there. We, we don't know why, but what we do know is their, their decision to stay there longer affects the future of their entire family. It affects everything that comes after that choice. Look at what happens in the next verse, 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So that's a pretty sad thing, right? Elimelech is dead. We don't know why. It doesn't tell us. As far as we know, it's, it's not like when we looked at Tamar and, and her husband did evil in God's sight, so God took his life, and then her second husband did evil in God's sight, and God took his life. We don't know what happened to Naomi's husband. We just know that he's dead. And that's certainly a sad situation because now Naomi is basically a single mom. And she's in a country that she's not from, and she's around people that don't live the same life and don't have the same belief system that she has, she's in a pretty tough situation. But life goes on. And look at what happens in verse 4. It says, These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her sons and her husband. So the boys grow up, they get married, and they marry these Moabite women. And while I'm sure this is a happy time for their family, at the same time, this is something that was kind of 
frowned upon by their Jewish culture. Because remember, we talked about this whole thing between the two different nations and the bad blood that would have been there and how they're in this place that they really probably would have been better off not to go to. And yet what they've done is they've chosen to to marry these Moabite women. And by making that choice, what they're saying is we are open to this other people group and we are open to whoever they worship. That's, that's a dangerous situation. And, and, and this is completely aside from where we're going with this tonight. But, but there's many of you in here who either have a boyfriend now or have a girlfriend or you hope to have a boyfriend one day or hope to have a girlfriend. You need to be very careful about the people you date because you need to know what they believe. Because we see it time and time and time again, and it's laid out so clearly here in Scripture, and we watch it play out every single day. If you say that you believe in God, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and yet you partner with somebody that believes something completely opposite of that, there's a pretty good chance they're going to pull you away from what you believe. Missionary dating never works. Let's just put it that way. Never works. Well, I had a friend who had a boyfriend and he got saved. That's awesome. But it never works. So be careful who you partner with. Be careful who you fall in love with. But I love him. I just can't help how I feel. Your heart is evil. And your heart lies and you can't trust your feelings because guess what? Yesterday you loved cake and today you love pie. <gasps> That's how quickly it changes. So look at what's happening here. These guys get married and then Scripture tells us they die. And the women that they married are not women that are from their people group. They're not women that are from where they're from. So this creates a dilemma here. But, but look at what is going on here. As far as we know, you know, they got married. Everything seemed fine for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, Naomi's sons just up and die. And that's tragic for Naomi because now she's lost her husband. She's lost both of, both of her sons. Both of her daughter-in-laws have lost their husbands. And, and in case you don't remember what we talked about, about a couple weeks ago, that in that time when a woman's husband died and, and her sons weren't around or they were dead, there was no real way for her to take care of herself. It's not like she could just go out and be an independent woman and go get a job and, and, and provide. She was dependent in that society upon her husband or upon her sons to take care of her. And now all three of these women are left in a situation where they don't have any of that. And that's where we're going to stop in Scripture tonight. <laughs> I know. Why are you laughing about that? And there's a reason we're going to stop there. Because you need to understand something. Some of you came in here tonight and there's some junk going on in your life. There's some things that are happening that make absolutely no sense. Maybe. From what we've seen here, Naomi, Orpah, Ruth, they didn't do anything wrong. 
They they didn't do anything that caused their husbands to die. From what we know, their husbands didn't do anything that caused their death. They're just living their life from what we can see, you know, as far as anybody can be good. They've basically been good people by our standards, and yet tragedy seems to keep hitting their family. Husbands are dying. Sons are dying. And it doesn't make sense. And I have to believe there's some of you in here tonight that you feel like that right now. That there are things that have happened in your life, maybe today, maybe last week, maybe a month ago, maybe you've lost a loved one recently that was totally unexpected. Maybe you have a parent who lost a job. Mom or dad got laid off. Maybe you just can't keep everybody in your house healthy. Somebody is sick, person after person after person, and none of it makes sense. And you look at that, and then you're in the middle of it, and you wonder, does God even care? Is God real? Does God love me? Does God even care about the things that are going on in my life right now? And I want you to know, and what we're going to see, I'm going to give you a spoiler here, what we're going to see as we walk through this book is that God cares more for you than you can even imagine. And that even when there's things going on in your life that you don't understand and things that hurt and things that are painful, God can take it and God can use it. That's exactly what God's going to do with Ruth as we walk through this book. God's going to take her and her her dedication to her mother-in-law to go to a country that she doesn't know and the people that she doesn't know and to carry out customs that she's unfamiliar with. God is going to take her and God is going to give her a husband and God is going to give her a son and God is going to redeem the hurt and the pain and the situations in her life for His glory. Because that is what God does when we let Him work. When we will turn to him and say, God, I don't understand it. God, it doesn't make any sense. God, this is painful right now. But I'm giving it to you. And and, and I'm, I'm speaking for God here, but what Scripture shows us over and over again is God takes that. And that doesn't mean everything is great immediately. That doesn't mean you never have problems in your life again. But what that does mean is when you put your faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ, when you understand that you are a sinner and you cannot fix that problem and you get tired of trying to be good enough and tired of trying to do enough and tired of trying to be what everyone tells you you should be and you say, God, I can't do it anymore. I need you to forgive me. Scripture tells us in that moment, you belong to Him. And nothing can take you away from Him. And no matter what happens in your life, even when it's painful, even when it doesn't make sense, you can rest in the fact that God is holding on to you and nothing can take you away from His precious hand. That's what we're going to see happen in this book. And that's what God does every single day for people who turn to Him and put their faith and trust in Him. This book is all about kindness, and you're going to see it over and over. But more importantly, this book is about redemption. Y'all done? How God can take the junk in our lives, the things that hurt, the things that make absolutely no sense, and He can use it for His glory. Because that's what we're created for. To bring Him glory.
And when life doesn't make sense, I want to challenge you tonight. I want to encourage you tonight. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop going to your friend who doesn't have any more experience in life than you do. Go to God. Take that pain, take that hurt, take that thing that you don't understand and go to God and give it to Him. And He will take it and He will hold you. And when you put your faith and trust in Him, you will experience a love like you have never experienced in your life. And you will know that in the midst of that thing that you don't understand, that God still has a purpose for you. And He has a purpose for your life. And He does not waste pain in your life. I want to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes. In just a second, we're, we're getting ready to stand up and, and we're going to sing. But there's enough people in this room tonight. Somebody in, your, in this room, there's, there's some frustration, there's some hurt, there's some tragedy in your life that just doesn't make sense. And you've been trying to figure it out. Why, God? Why me? Why this? And you keep coming up empty-handed. Maybe it's time to give it to God tonight. Maybe it's time to stop asking the why me and why this question and say, God, I trust you. Even though I don't understand it, even though it's painful, God, I trust you. And if you're here tonight and that's you and, and you want somebody to pray with you, somebody to pray for you about whatever that is in your life, I encourage you, take one of those orange cards, write it down, drop it in this basket up here and, and the leaders in this room will pray for you. I send those out every single week. And take a moment and talk to God. And if you're here tonight and, and you've been trying to figure it out on your own because you don't have a relationship with God, you've never put your faith and trust in Him, you can stop wondering tonight if there really is a God and does He really love you and have a plan for your life. You can know that for sure by putting your faith and trust in Him tonight. God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't forgive myself when I don't understand what's happening. But I know Jesus died for me. And I know he rose from the tomb. And I want to follow him with my life. And I want to trust you. Those words aren't magic. You can use your own. But if you're here tonight and you're ready to stop wondering if God loves you and if he's real and you're ready to meet him, as soon as we start singing, stand up come see me and one of the other adults in this room. And if you're scared to do that by yourself, grab the hand of the person next to you and they'll be more than happy to walk with you. They may be even happy to have that conversation with you right where you are. Know that God created you for a purpose. And even when your life doesn't make sense, God loves you and He has a plan for you. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that even when we get to moments in our life 
hurt. God, to know that you're still there and you still have a plan. God, help us to trust you and to trust that plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.